0: Hello again folks It's Marty Ross, your Aaron Storyteller, here with Act three of the rather dramatic and mysterious tale I entitle Dryad Once again I hear a voice or two at the back saying what Dryad What the heck is a Dryad? Well, folks, bear with me, because here in Act 3, I do promise you, you'll finally, if you don't know already, you'll get an explanation of what a dryad, or perhaps we should say a hammer dryad, is. Um, But anyway, bear with me on that. Anyway, so yes, Act 3 of the story, and just to set the scene, where is the scene? Well, the scene is, you might recall, we're in a, a, a vast... Um, ancient forest somewhere, somewhere in Scotland. A vast, beautiful, broad-leaved, ancient and, frankly, endangered forest. For a decision has been made to plough the route for a brand new road, a dual carriageway, a bypass for the nearest town, to plough the route for that road straight through the heart of this ancient forest getting rid of all the trees that stand in the way. Now, some are not happy about this. In fact, up in the forest, there is a protest group, a protest camp, protesters who are doing everything they can to stop the destruction of the ancient forest. Well, our construction company isn't very happy about that. So uh, they've sent the word down to Glasgow and they've recruited some, uh, <coughs> some muscle. Security guards, big tough guys, uh, who are to patrol alongside the works team as they're going out every day with their chainsaws and their JCBs and their diggers and what have you. And the security team are to keep the protesters away from the work team. Keep them far away, keep them away forcibly, if needs be. And if, you know, a little bit of rough stuff has to go on at the, the edge of sight, well, so be it. Recruited to this security team is a young man called Jim. Well, that's what he says his name is. Anyway, um, he makes out he's never been to this forest before. He's completely new here. But um, who knows? There are hints that Jim maybe has a relationship with this forest that he's not letting anyone know about. Well, again, more of that as we go along. But anyway, Jim's just had his first day at work. A rather uh, difficult, challenging day at work. Um, He, the security guards, the guys with the chainsaws, the JCBs, the bulldozers, you name it, all headed out into the forest and started clearing trees. But protesters started appearing, coming out of the trees, uh, leaping about the treetops, chaining and uh, uh, roping themselves to the trees and having to be cut away and pushed aside and, oh, it was a Chaos, it was a stromash! it was a rammy, uh, open warfare between the, the works team and the security guards and the protesters. In the thick of all this chaos and coming and going, Jim stumbled upon a, a middle-aged woman among the protesters, who he seemed to recognise, who he seemed to know by name, the name of Annie. Though she turned and swiftly ran off into the trees and was lost to sight. Jim pursued her but could not find her and when he found his way back to the the grove where all the the digging and the chainsawing was going on, it was in time to see Big Sandy. Big Sandy, the chief tree surgeon, who on the night of his arrival had acquainted Jim with a rather sinister history over the centuries, over centuries and centuries upon centuries, the sinister history of this forest. Well anyway, Big Sandy had stopped work. He was cutting his way with his chainsaw through a tree when a dark red blood like substance came flowing out of the bark. And even as Big Sandy was examining this, well, what happened? Was it was it just a freak accident? Well, that's not quite the way it looked to those on looking, such as Jim. What it actually looked like to those on looking was that a uh, why it was almost as if the uh, the tree itself had stretched down a great branch like a like a limb, like an arm, like a claw, like a tentacle, grabbing Big Sandy round the throat, lifting him off his feet, lifting him high into the air and high into the air, strangling him, choking him and then and then breaking his neck, leaving him hanging there quite dead. On which ominous note we rejoin our story with act three. Dryad. Work inevitably was cancelled for the rest of that day. The work team retreated to their camp. The, the police were called in, a, a tacit hard hat, as found the night before, reluctantly handed over by Hardigan. A fresh search was made of the forest or of as much of the forest as the local force's limited manpower could uh, stretch to. The protesters had disappeared, as before, back into the trees. It was supposed they were camping somewhere in the forest depths, but well, likely they were breaking and relocating their camp every day so they could never be quite tracked down. With a day off, most of the works team opted to, to head down into the town, or more precisely, to the pub in the town. On his way out of the caravan's door, Vinny worked up the sociability to uh, <coughs> ask Jim if he uh, wanted to come along. Jim politely declined and was answered with a gruff snort. Jim waited a while after he and the others had gone. This in the time already consumed by those present at Sandy's death having to give statements to the police. But it was already well into the afternoon before Jim slipped discreetly out of the camp and ascended into the forest. Yet he knew more or less where he was going. And even as he reached the end of the main track and began delving his way along a further thread of path, steep walls of trunk and leaf pressing tight at either side, his steps found their way to a well-remembered clearing. And there, against a breeze-shimmered curtain of green, He found her waiting for him. Hello again, she said. I thought you might show up sooner or later. Oh, it... uh, It is you, isn't it? I mean... Really you, and not just some... Some ghost. I've been a long way away, said Jim. Took a long while getting back but but I yes it's me. Stood here hoping you're no a ghost neither. No Jamie she said. I'm not a ghost. Though like you I've been a long way away too. All around the world in fact. Well well most of the way. Started off soon as I left this place, that summer. Soon as, soon as term ended. It seemed the safest option. Running. What, what happened between you and me, Jamie? Well, well it had its own kind of beauty, I suppose, but not any kind anyone else would appreciate. I was your teacher, Jamie. And though you might have been a a hair's breadth above the age of consent, it it still would have been a scandal and a half if anyone had found out. Those strict Presbyterian parents of yours, Jamie, I I, I dreaded them strong-arming the truth out of you. so So I ran. Jumped before anyone could push me. All across Europe I went teaching English as a foreign language. I finally found myself in Bhutan, can you imagine? Teaching Shakespeare and the, the Bronte sisters in the foothills of the Himalayas. But even there, word reached me uh, belatedly of what they were going to do to this forest. Our forest. And though, yes, what happened between us, Jamie, was wrong, it, but still, all those years later, felt sacred to me somehow. Can, can a thing be wrong and sacred at the same time? I, I suppose it can. Ask the druids all those centuries ago, sacrificing here to the tree spirits. They must have known what they were doing was, was violent bloody, monstrous, but yes, yes, at the same time, sacred, very sacred. So I, I came back, crept back, stole back, anyway, oh, oh, not back to the town down there, I I, I didn't want anyone recognising me, but, but up here, into the forest, joined the protest camp, reunited myself with the, The trees, the glades, the secret groves and, well, fought the good fight on their behalf. But the last thing I expected was to to run into you like I did yesterday. Same here, he said, as they walked on idly through the ever denser woodland. I thought I'd never see you again after you left, left like that, so... So suddenly, I mean, there I was, final term finished. School put behind me, a a grown man, more or less, ready to step out into the world. You at my side, everything up front and honest at last, but, but suddenly you were gone, vanished. Oh, oh I waited around the... the the whole rest of that year I waited around, hoping you'd suddenly reappear. I wandered up into this forest every day damn near, watching all that had been so so green and alive around us go, grey and cold and white and dead. And still you didn't come. So I didn't hang around any longer. I, I made my way to Glasgow. Oh, not 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 to go to the fancy university or college you'd have wanted for me, your prize pupil. No, no. After the education you'd given me, the the the, the, the education in, in, in abandonment, and betrayal, I figured it had enough education for one lifetime. And be, and besides, would I have wanted to make you happy even at a distance. So. So, no. No. I made a point of getting the grimmest dead end jobs I could. The, the deader the end, the better I. wound up in the army. Like so many other young guys with nowhere else to go. Wound up in Afghanistan. Couple of stints. Got caught up in all the standard chaos out there. Came back with a. We stand on this, your head full of traumas. Try to make a fresh start. Well, wound up with some, some company dodgy as I was by that point in time. I, I went to prison for a while. More traumas waiting for me there. When I got out, the the only kind of work open to me was security, the tougher end of the trade. Night club bouncer, front step of the kind of clubs where there's always trouble and in the, well, the, the club bouncer, Grapevine. I heard about the security guard jobs going up here and I thought, well, <laughs> why not? Why not? So many years had gone by, my parents dead, well, who around here was going to remember me, sir? So. so back I came and then, first full day in the job, Walks straight into you. Like I say, Jamie, she insisted. I I wasn't looking for it any more than you. What what we did. What I did with you. To you. It was wrong, yes. And and the biggest biggest favour I could ever have done you would have been to make sure I never set eyes on you again. But, But stuff happens in this forest. Stuff you can't see coming. But we both know it. What we did, he said, we did together. I'm no having you take away from me my part in it. No, after you took away everything else. But it, but, but it was so wrong, Jamie, she said, lightly shaking her head. As if she'd been shaking her head over the matter every day and year since. I took advantage of a child. I've no excuse no excuse except except you have to understand how it was for me just out of teacher training first job hardly more mature than the kids I was set to teach coming here to the the school down there in the town with a with a head full of idealisms about <laughs> stirring young imaginations filling them with the, with a the love of uh, literature and poetry and then and then finding myself, stood at the front of that classroom, trying to teach Shakespeare and Burns and big dreams besides to, to a bunch of kids couldn't envision a life for themselves beyond beyond fixing fuel leaks and tractors. Or working long shifts in the shortbread factory in the next town down the Glen. But, but then there was you, Jamie. You, that big quiet boy sat at the back and I knew, I knew from the start somehow you at least were listening. Some days it felt like I was teaching those lessons for you and you alone but but still it was tough. I recall one afternoon late spring feeling Hotter than strictly natural sweat dripping off me, class a handful, more than a handful, the effort of it all pounding in my head. I, I had to get away, get out. Soon as the final bell rang, I was off faster than any of the kids c- c- coming up here. The forest. Just to just to get away from everyone, be alone with a I don't know. Alone with the trees, sit somewhere in the the last of the afternoon sunshine, read, dream, and there it. Was it at, at, that turn of the path back there, Jamie? Yes, it was, wasn't it? There were I. I came across you that spring afternoon. Her fingers, unthinkingly perhaps, perhaps from purest muscle memory, had latched themselves through his as on they walked. Remember, Jamie, you walking up that slope, bag over one shoulder, blazer over the other, that tatty paperback curled in your hand. That book, the book the book I was teaching, A Midsummer Night's Dream. It was true, you had been listening. And there you were, come like me into the woods to to sit down and and read it and dream about it wide awake And, and no one, not even me, making a test of it, a duty, a demand, just for pleasure, sheer pleasure. So we sat down, remember Jamie, you and me, just about, about here, yes, here ahead, here, here, the grass under the trees. I remember, he said. She held his hand tighter. And we sat and read it together, the, the best of it anyway, read it out loud, playing the parts. The fairy queen and her rude mechanical lover with his beautiful ass's head. And your lines and my lines, the the poetry in them, interlocked, interlaced, like the boughs and the leaves around us above us, interlaced in that warm breeze. And before long, I remember, he said again, now he was squeezing her hand, hurting it slightly, but, but only slightly. Oh, Jamie, she said, the way we laced and locked that day. I, I'd never, never, sh- should have never, never. Oh, oh Jamie, Jamie, the, the sweet nakedness of it. She wrenched her hand free. But it was wrong Jamie she said and, and so of course I ran how could I not ran ran the whole world round just, just to get it behind me. But there's the thing he replied turns out it was right what they tell you in the school. The world is round and if you run in it far enough you wind up back where you started just like we have. And I'm not sure, Sunway, for all the running I've done, that it's such a bad thing. The catch is, she said, the way we've both come back. It's put us on opposite sides of a, a little local war, at least. Don't talk to me about war, he cried, startling her to a stop. I've seen war. Real war hard up course. Taking the smoke and the dust and the screams and the blood hard in my face. And I swear to God, when it was stinking around me hottest, I, I swore. I swore that if ever, ever I saw sweet green life blossoming before me like I saw it blossom that day. Those days, those several days here with you, i Why, I'd reach out and grab hold of that wife. Gently, you understand. But I'd reach out and I'd grab it and I'd never let it get past me ever again. Reach out and... Reach out like I'm reaching out right now, see? And... 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 and Annie. He had caught both her upper arms, was drawing her closer, though she wrestled gently against his strength. But but, but but, Jamie, we can't, she said. It, it was a mistake all those years ago. It, it would be twice the mistake now. A mistake, he countered, though he had let his hand slip from her. A mistake. Or maybe a miracle. Think of it. Think of it. You went thousands of miles this way. I went thousands of miles that way. All those miles and all those years and yet think, think, we somehow both found our way back here and at damn near the same time. I mean I mean, I mean what are the odds? What could it be but a a miracle? A miracle or, or better yet, magic. Magic like in that like in that silly old play. Maybe, what if it was, what if it was the forest? What if it was what? She frowned. The forest, our forest, the forest right here. So alive it was around us, remember? Back in those days. Well, what if it's the forest somehow that that, 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 that somehow reached out to us? Out to us both, however far away we were, taking hold of us, dragging us back. Back so we could be a part of it again—the forest like we were all those years ago. And well, if that's too eerie fairy for you, well. Well, maybe it was the forest in our own hearts, no more, no less. Oh, Jamie she said, reaching out, caressing his cheek as she had caressed it the day before, and so many other more distant days before that. I should have known better all along than to stir to life the poet in ye. She leaned forward. Kissed him. A stir of wind went through the trees alongside them. The kiss deepened, mutual. They broke apart belatedly, but only to take one another's hand, to lead one another only a few steps beyond. Where a little grove, so familiar, lay out of sight of such path as there was, bedded with mosses and grasses soft as velvet. They shed their clothes, easy as letting a few breaths go, and lay as they had lain all those years ago, as they embraced and caressed and kissed and coupled. It was as if By magic, the grey threads were gone from her hair, her lustrous auburn hair, and the wrinkles smoothed from those cheeks of hers suddenly plush and youthful. And it was as if his scars, the stitching she was at first so alarmed to see upon his body, Likewise, the macho tattoos, so obligatory in the life he must have led, were all, all vanishing at her touch. Making this battered around man, so like the sweet, unblemished boy she had lain with so long ago. It was indeed, as if no time had gone by at all. Afterwards, there on the soft moss, he fell asleep. A dreamless sleep, it seemed, the sort he could hardly remember enjoying in the longest while. He woke <laughs> with a start. The forest had grown cold around his nakedness though though he saw that, 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 that Annie had draped her fleece about his midsection. Looking up, he could see stars and the vast cold black of the night sky between the overhanging boughs. He sat up, shivered, looked around for Annie. There she lay, alongside him, sprawled in the moss, her own clothes still disarranged about her nakedness. She was awake, smiling up at him, her lustrous auburn hair spilling about the greenery beneath her head. And the miracle, the magic, heard true, for she remained the same beautiful young woman His boyish self had embraced all those years ago. That woman, little more than a girl herself. How could that be? Because it was the forest and they were alone together and all else in the world had ceased to exist? Or was he dreaming after all, dreaming now? But she raised a hand. A hand in a soft green glove and caressed his cheek and the tender solidity of her touch reassured him all was real. W- was it? That touch, that velvety glove, velvet like the like the moss was velvet. Had Annie been wearing such a thing? No, no. He looked back to that smiling, palely glowing face below him. It was not Annie. It was the other woman. The woman robed, cloaked, hooded and yes, gloved in green. The woman he had seen the night of his arrival beckoning to him from the trees. The woman who had disappeared like a phantom and who now flaunted her presence so close before him on the forest floor. Was it, was it her he had made love to? Broadening her smile, she rose, dragging her greenish garb, all littered and stuck over with scraps of moss and twig, a flower petal and pine needle up about her previous nakedness, wrapping it tight drawing up her green hood about her brownish-reddish hair. She gave him another smile and then shifted swiftly back towards the path. He started up from the ground, the draped fleece falling away from about him, his nakedness reaching after her, but she was already drifting from sight. He looked around for his clothes, uh, where they were heaped in the ground, a grabbing hand fumbling his way into them. Uh, The struggle barely begun when he heard Annie's voice close by. Dryads, is it? She asked. He glanced a short distance to where, to to where Annie, Annie definitely, middle-aged Annie in sweater and cargo pants and stout walking boots sat, sat in a tree stump. Drawing and a cigarette. What, he asked, beginning a, a slightly more dignified drawing on of his clothes. Dryads, she said. I never told you about dryads. Never. Well, well, high school's a bit airy maybe for Sylvia Plath. I must watch sluttish dryads twitch their multifarious silks in the holy grove. But it's an older story than that. The words Greek are hammer dryads. But you get the idea, I suppose, wherever in the world you get trees growing. Dryads. Tree spirits. The idea that, well, well, once upon a time, every tree had its own spirit. A wondrous, beautiful spirit, usually figured as female for what it's worth. But fearsome, if you got on the wrong side of it. Fearsome as nature itself. Her self. I suppose that's more or less what the druids were sacrificing to all those years ago. Thing is, since I came back here, I, I keep thinking I, I see them. Out of the corner of my eye. Look round properly, they, they, they are gone. If ever they're at all, probably not. The world uh, The world isn't magical like it used to be. And reality, heaven knows, is, is enough to be going on with. And go I must. I'm sorry, Jamie. She rose, extinguished her cigarette, Stepped onward in the same general direction as that other, now vanished, figure. Go, he said. No, no, wait, hold on. Go go, go where? To the camp, she said. The protest camp. Where we are tonight, like the air, where we'll be tomorrow night, is a uh, strictly secret. Sorry, Jamie. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, he said, grabbing her arm. Wait, wait, uh, let me come with you. "'I'll join you. No, listen, I'll join the protest. "'I'll stand with you. "'You you think I care about about their wretched bloody bypass? "'It's nothing to me. "'You and the forest, that's what matters to me. "'Maybe maybe it's all that ever mattered to me. "'Let me come with you. Let me join you. "'Go on, go on, lead the way.' "'What?' she replied, "'scooping her face up from the ground and pulling it on. "'You, there.' And you, a security guard when the people were protesting against. That wouldn't quite work, Jamie. Can't you see why? My side in this conflict, they'd they'd take you for a spy for the other side and and the most pathetically transparent spy there could be. I'm sorry, Jamie. This this here was uh, sweet, but uh, pretty near as big a mistake as any mistake we made all those years ago. I think it's time for us both to move on from it. Goodbye, Jamie. Let's uh let's try and not meet again on the on the wrong side of a chainsaw. Huh? And with that she was darting off into the shadows between the trees. No Annie he cried, running after her, regaining the narrow path in time to see her flit from view around that path's next sharp bend. Annie! He took the bend but gained no further sight of her, delving on that way nonetheless, calling, calling, to the dense silence of the trees and bushes around him, fighting his way past any obstruction, following every hint of a shift in any shadow between the wrinkled trunks, soon finding himself astray from any trace of a path stumbling this way and that in a mesh of wood and leaf and moss and mud and sudden pockets of peat-black water, the forest pressing upon him as as if to smother him with a kind of rough tenderness. And then, when it seemed he might be sunk in darkness entirely, a sharp rustle and crackle at his shoulder set him turning. Turning to see a figure stepping his way. A figure wrapped in a low green luminescence. It was that same woman again. That, that other woman in the green robe and hood and cloak all spangled with leaf and petal and woody fragments. Her face, its pale smile, gleaming like a pallid jewel in the light from the stars. Her green-gloved hand stretched forward once again, this time to catch his own hand with its soft warmth drawing him on, on through the trees, as if tracing a path only she could see. On they wove, swifter, swifter, the forest seeming to shift itself, its gaps, its depths, its tight closures, its sudden ways forward around them as they went, a sudden shift through what almost seemed a tunnel between tight-packed trunks and their interlocked branches above. He saw another woman stepping towards him from out of the dark. She looked at first glance identical to the first woman, drifting forward, extending her own green-gloved hand, the first woman passing his hand to her. The second woman took the hand, and now it was she leading him on through the forest. The first woman, having retreated from sight again he was being pulled through wooded depths as the woman glanced back at him past the rim of her hood. He realized this woman was was not quite the same as the first woman. The hair straying across her face fairer the green of her eyes a lighter shade but no sooner had he registered this than a third woman in green had appeared reaching out being handed his hand taking hold of it stealing him away from the second woman and then there was a fourth woman and a fifth and a sixth so many more each taking a turn and guiding him on. Far above the treetops, the most brilliant moon had come into view, blazing a light down into the forest depths that made them gleam like the kelps and corals of some sun-struck tropical ocean. So many of the women there were, Seeming from one dance of shadow to the next, the same woman replicating herself again and again and again, or each a distinctly different woman, distinct in shade of smile, in playfulness of grasp, as many women as there were trees, a forest of women. And then, in one sudden deep plunge of grove, The latest woman to take his hand was steering him towards another woman. Another woman stood in the shade of a singularly ancient and gnarled and densely overhung tree. And he recognised this latest woman as the very first woman. Again reaching with that green-gloved hand, again taking hold of him, drawing him forward, shifting her grasp to his wrist, pressing the raised palm of his hand against the so wrinkled bark of the tree. He gave a start, tried to pull his hand free. Gently, she heard it there. There was a movement in the tree. Within the depths of the wood itself, a swift, regular movement like some animal trapped there and struggling to break out. He realised it was a... It was a pulse. A heartbeat. Or, or was it simply the, 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 the pulse in his own hand echoed back at him? He, he fought the woman's grasp, tugged his hand free, turned, turned, stared down at the hand. Snakes. Thin snakes of blue and green and scarlet were, were, were writhing all about his palm, his wrist, his fingers he tried to, 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 to shake them off, but they clung there and he realized he realized the snakes were the vessels of his own blood pulsing there, seen as if in x-ray, and he freely, freely pressed the palm back to the trunk, matching his pulse with the pulse there, and a thought which had perhaps been seated half a lifetime before, amid the furrows and wrinkles of his mind, came suddenly, suddenly to fullest blossom, like a crown of green leaves, jeweled with scarlet berries, set about his head. And the thought was a simple realisation that the forest was a single living entity, made up, to be sure, of innumerable components, as he was made up of so many cells and nuclei. All those individual trees and leaves and insects and birds and fungi and pockets of mud. And those separate parts might often war and bloodily with one another, like like rival clans up here in the hill. But, But when an outside force came to invade, all those separate forces were called to unite, to become one truly and fight the forest's ground. And now that threat had come. On the lower slopes the invaders had been heard. Their weapons of war grinding into position. The first trees had been heard falling, dying, with sounds shriller than any human scream. And the call had gone out, even, even to him, even to him, Jamie, who had once, once, one long, long gone spring and early summer, once been such a part of the forest's rich life. For all that he'd wandered so far away since. A call to to come back. A plea to join that fight. He looked to the woman. She smiled at him. But as her smile broadened, he saw that smooth, pale skin of hers begin to, to wrinkle. To canker. To shrivel. To darken. To take on a texture like that of tree bark. One of her green eyes, and then the other, displaced by sproutings from within her skull of spikes of gnarled wood. Another larger spike erupting from her mouth, like a solidification of the scream from her which he could hear in his own head. The scream which screamed, ''The forest!'' Our forest is in danger. Will you help? To which he replied with a scream of his own. Yes! The forest had gone silent and dark all around him. He glanced about. The the woman was gone and all the other women likewise. Suddenly, horrendously alone, he stumbled out from under the ancient tree trying to, to discern whatever hint of path had brought him there and might now have half a chance of, uh, of taking him back towards the workman's camp. But, but no sooner was a thread of bare mud amid the grass discerned underfoot than he, he noticed off to one side a low, red glow among the trees. Had he been lost in the forest that long? Was it, was it dawn already? No. No. No, there was a, a smear in the air, a smear like... like burning. And a murmur, a murmur of, of violent cries. He delved his way on, on in that direction. <laughs> and that, folks, is the end of Act Three of Dryad. Well now at least you know what a dryad or a hammer dryad is, so the scene is all set folks for things to get even more dramatic in act four. I hope you'll be back with me to hear that second last act of our very very dramatic tale. In the meantime folks, thank you for listening.